I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us in studio today is Professor Nombeko Mpako who is currently the acting director of the School of Arts at the University of South Africa, which encompasses several departments, one being the Department of Art, History, Visual Arts and Musicology, which Prof. Mpako chairs as its head. She studied at the University of Fort Hare, where she obtained an honors degree in fine arts and higher education teaching diploma. She obtained her master's in art and design education and a PhD in art education at the University of New South Wales in Australia. Welcome to the show in our series on Heritage Month. Thank you. Prabhupada Paco, you've lectured creative arts programs at various institutions of higher learning, like the Lovedale College for Continuing Education, Border Technicon, Walter Sisulu University, and currently at UNISA. At heart, you're an art educator. Can you please share with us what made you pursue a career in art education? Well, um, what made me pursue it, it was after my teaching experience. Because I started teaching at Lovedale College, which was a, a college for continuing education, which was for in-service uh, uh, teachers. Uh, just before the, the, the independence, the Siskai government decided to open this college to upgrade all the teachers that were in the system but did not have... Uh, a diploma or a metric. Those were the teachers that used to have PTC after uh, grade, the current grade 10, which then was a JC, they would go and do a teacher's diploma. So that uh, a college was opened in 1988. And then I had just, I was doing my honours at University of Forte at the time. So I was one of the first, um, in fact, I was one of the first academics that were recruited to start the college from scratch. And I was um, recruited to teach a a visual arts education. That's very pioneering. So then from there, I went to, after two years of my Lovedale experience, I was recruited to go and teach at the then Siskai Technicon which was also a new Technicon in the Siskai, which later on changed its name to Border Technicon. And then uh, from all that experience of teaching, uh, because I went to do my art education uh, in Australia after I, I had been teaching for 10 years, so I already knew exactly what aspect of my career I wanted to follow, and I was very passionate about teaching. So when I went to UNSW, University of New South Wales, I decided that I wanted to do art education because at that time, um, master's was an exit level for a fine art degree. Uh, If you want to do anything else, you would have to do art history or you do philosophy or you do education. And in South Africa, we didn't have universities that were offering an integrated art education program, which specifically talks to the arts, not just a general uh, didactics uh, uh, degree. So 
I wanted to be an art educator because when you start uh, at university, you um, go to university, especially for me, I went to university after my son was born because I wanted to provide for him. And then I was looking for any degree that I can get and then art because I was already uh, thinking I was a bit creative because I I used to do some dressmaking, uh, self-taught dressmaker as well as um, uh, cake making. So I thought that would work, but I didn't know at the time what careers were involved. So after 10 years, I chose to do art education because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And staying with the theme of education, most school curriculums, creative subjects like art, tend not to receive the same weighting as opposed to mathematics and language skills in terms of the importance of the role in youth development. But when we look at things like the World Economics Forum Future Jobs Report from 2016, Interestingly, creativity ranks third on the top of the skills list needed by 2020. Mm. Critical thinking is second and complex problem solving is first. Given our changing world and the different types of skill sets required in the future, what skills do you consider that the arts develop? Well, the art develops the constructive thinking. I always say, I was actually saying that this morning with the teachers, that at primary school level, we are not teaching children to be artists, but we are educating children through art. So that is the point of departure. Then how do we do this? We develop various capabilities, such as constructive thinking. For example, today they were doing a sculpture using a found materials, and they had to think about what materials I have to use and, and, and how am I going to put these materials together. And also, constructive thinking is what we do all the time because before you do anything, you construct it in your mind. I also quote the, 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 the book as a man thinketh that says that everything that we do is as a result of our thoughts. So constructive thinking is the first one. And then the second one is imaginative. Because you have to imagine imagine things for things to happen, like dreaming. And then there's also sympathetic understanding, which is empathy. When children are working with materials, they they develop that empathy. If he's making a, a, a child, she or he is making a, a, a model of her mom, or even of a doll that is a baby, they start thinking about how I can handle this baby and how I can uh, handle my mother that I am making because I'm passionate about. I remember in the last month when we were doing the month thing at UNISA, we invited Tuli Matonsela. And Tuli was saying, the problem with our upbringing of the children is that we buy boys guns and cars and then we buy girls dolls and then we wonder why our uh, um, male uh, counterpart are not able to be passionate and compassionate about child uh, bearing. So there's there's a lot of, uh, uh, of development capabilities that you are developing of children confidence, assertiveness and, and everything else you can think of. But we are not really focusing at primary school. 
And those are important life skills to have because besides having your functional components of understanding the subject matter, whether it's maths or English or Zulu, if you don't have the the gel which can go in between, which gives you those social and and life skills, you're not going to function as a whole person. Yes, that's true. For example, I just want to make a, a reference to, in addition, that mm, uh, the arts teach children to make good judgment about qualitative relationships, unlike much of the curriculum in which correct answers are the ones that are ruling. Uh, for example, in art, we teach them that you can find there are different ways, like that term, that there are different ways of killing a cat. There's not one good answer you can mm. find ways of dealing with it. So it's yes. all about creativity yes, at exactly. the end of the day. Mm. What do you think needs to be done to include art programs in the curricula more intensively? Uh, you've heard that South Africa has the best policies. Yes. We do have a policy on that art must be taught at all schools. During um, the 1994 that was the, 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 the reconstruction and development programs of the ANC. One of the decisions that was taken was that art must be made compulsory from uh, preschool up to grade 9, meaning that all the children that are at primary school must learn arts, not just art. The curriculum 2005 referred to the now creative art discipline as arts and culture. It was incorporating all the four arts, music, visual arts, dance, and drama. So as long as 1998, these uh, uh, art uh, uh, subjects were implemented. But the problem is not with the policy, is with the implementation strategy. Now, the problem is that because of the legacy of the apartheid, that we did not have art education in black schools, we have shortage of suitably qualified teachers. And now, for the government to bring this art subject as an equity process without looking at how we're going to develop the, the implementation of them, for example, the infrastructure is a, a serious problem. If you look, compare the black schools and the so-called model C schools that used to be the government schools for whites during the apartheid regime, they've got infrastructure, they've got studios uh, for teaching art, they've got uh, libraries, they've got everything. And, then, and they also have suitably qualified teachers. And our black schools, we do not have suitable qualified teachers because of that legacy and now the 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 new uh, policy says all children must be exposed to art must teach art from grade uh, 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 grade one or, or or grade r up to grade nine and who's going to teach it and that actually brings me to my project that i'm doing the project that i'm doing i'm trying to actually um uh, um, um Intervene. It's an intervention strategy that is not going to make further damage by saying let's take teachers and put them to school like the Lovedale model. Mm. 
because the Lovedale model was taking teachers out of school for two years and they go to Lovedale College and study. We can't afford to do that. We need the resources. So, so then we have to now look at a, a, a schools-based uh, professional development that is going to assist the teachers whilst they are still in their jobs. I think it's a noble initiative and definitely something we need and looking mm. at creative <laughs> innovation programs yes, yes. Uh, to achieve that so that the day job gets done mm. but also we're being able to enrich people so that they're equipped pr- with preparing their lessons mm. and, and teaching the students. Now art formats are incredibly diverse from painting to song mm. lyrics, sculptures, architecture, fashion, you spoke about mm. performance mm. arts with mm. theatre, mm. dance, textiles, to even body art with mm. tattoos. But they encapsulate expressions, they reflect concerns of the day, and sometimes they may be controversial, to emphasise a point. Mm. Can you share with us some examples of how women's issues have been depicted in art? Well, what comes to mind is the, the, uh, the artist that inspired me when I was doing undergraduate, yes. which was Judy in Chicago, who was a, is a, uh, an American feminist, was using non-conventional uh, material to make art because you know before art used to be called fine art and fine art was referring to the painting sculpture drawing to some extent photography to some extent and printmaking and as a result every other art that is not that type of art would be referred to as craft and the Africans were always grouped together with oceanic and eastern uh, 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 countries as primitive people because our art sometimes was not meeting the specifics. So not using the mediums that the fine arts... So Judy Chicago was one of the first that I can remember because I studied her when I was doing my undergraduates in the 80s that tried to challenge the stereotype and change uh, what was conceived as art. And uh, she made an installation or a triangular table in which she was honoring the important women in history. So he was actually recording the history of the Western uh, women that were famous. And even that art, even our days, is still one of the art that is acknowledged. And then I'm thinking nowadays we've heard uh, uh, Abo or Helen Sebiti who are uh, uh, South African artists and that uh, would fall in that category of my age or a little bit uh, older than me. But then now we have the younger generation that have even pushed the stereotype even further. Who who comes to mind is um, Merisi Bande, the the artwork of Sophie in which is um, honoring uh, the domestic uh, uh, workers and and remaking a reference to her own grandmother and the females. Is she the lady who utilizes Victorian dress? Yes, Sophie is the name of the the artwork that she started with. And then again you get Nandi Pam Dambo. Nandi Pam Dambo is also looking at the issues of identity and also challenging the stereotypes uh, such as patriarchal belief systems as well. So um, there's quite a lot of them that we can think of but in the 
interest of time, <laughs> I will not mention all of them. And how do you think, because they're bringing those issues to mm-hmm. the fore and it's not in, say, a traditional format of black and white where mm-hmm. we are reading it or we're listening to it on the airwaves or mm-hmm. watching it on the TV mm-hmm. screens, but how do you think that these works of art have helped influence attitudes and change stereotypes? I think they are. For example, another uh, artist now that comes to mind is Zaneli Moholi, who is actually addressing a current issue of a hate crime, the change where people in the township, uh, if they are gay and lesbians, they are sometimes they are killed. And the, we see these things happening nowadays. I do think that the, the attitudes of the society are changing. And uh, these young women, especially these young and up-and-coming artists, have been able to be bold enough Unlike us, when we were uh, uh, younger artists and students, we were not bold enough because we practiced during the apartheid regime. But these ones are very bold, and, and it is really making significance because, for example, Zanel Mohol is really making a huge significance with her artwork. And in that boldness, female artists are mm. obviously bringing forward mm. not just issues that are confronting mm. women that women are being challenged mm. by, but they're also providing a female perspective to those mm. views. Firstly, do you think that, uh, f- that we've got enough female artists to express and ensure that women's perspectives are being expressed mm. and seen not just by women, mm. but also by men too? Yeah. I think uh, things are really changing, especially uh, when you look at the uh, national competitions that you find in South Africa, like Atelier, Sasso, Standard Bank, quite a few of them. The criteria for selecting best artists is not in favor of any gender. It's encompassing everybody. And as a result, in the last uh, few, even this one for Sassol, which I was a judge, it was a woman who actually uh, won the first prize. And guess what she used? She used the Sishwe material to present an album of her family, which is again something very unconventional. But it was found to be one of the best works. And I think last year or the year before, it was Nelmarie Dupree, who is working with robots, which is also something new. She creates these robots, and then they, they work and do things and get tired and get anxious and get depressed. So human emotions exactly. that they experience. So basically, we, we've seen quite a few, and I think South Africa is actually uh, uh, doing well when it comes to these competitions. There are quite a few of them, and they open mm-hmm. the avenue, and they become a platform for almost everyone. I think part of the challenge mm-hmm. on recognition mm-hmm. and elevating the mm-hmm. arts is because often people don't really see the commercial uh, viability of them yes. and how that translates into mm-hmm. creative industries mm-hmm. that we need to almost increase. I mean, the... the one that comes to mind is the likes of, of a Carol Boys with oh, yes. functional art mm, yes. as mm. opposed to just mm. the aesthetics. Mm. Do you think that there's a, a balance of being able to just look at a piece and appreciate the piece for mm. what it is or that we have to start trying to uh, generate more commerciality? 
Well, I suppose it's, it's both yes and no. Yes, in the sense that for artists to live, <laughs> they have to yes. get some kind of income. So that's where the entrepreneurship uh, has to come in so that they are able to at least make money. But at the same time, we shouldn't be doing a quick fix. Like I remember during the apartheid dream, there was uh, this uh, kind of everybody wanted to depict uh, uh, riots and how apartheid uh, regime was um, aggressive and, and, and unfair to black people. And as a result, the collectors, because the collectors, they have a lot of influence uh, because they would collect that because, yeah, even if it's not really a, a genuine piece of work, so, so they would collect it and then and, and also influence now the people not to actually develop even further. They would then just be trapped yes, in trapped a period. Into like right now, our, I just came back in July. I was in, in, uh, in, in, in at the University of Dar es Salaam. And then I was looking at uh, what the students there, I'm, I'm their external, what the students there do, they are so stuck to what is called authentic art. Between me and you, is there authentic art now? If we are looking at authentic art as in the definition that is the work that is, is done by people that did not have any education or did not have exposure to other genres or even other uh, societies, is there anybody now in this day and era who does not <laughs> know what is happening? <laughs> who, who does not know what is happening anywhere else? So, yeah, so also the collectors, they, they did play a major influence. I think sometimes to even to the detriment of some of the artists that they would produce artwork to sell. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. But then the problem sometimes is that don't aspire or even if they do, but they, are, they don't have the uh, opportun- enough opportunity to develop themselves as artists in order to understand the language the visual uh, uh, expression language. And moving with the times, not being held back in the past. Mm. Today we're talking to Professor Nombeko Mbako, who is currently the acting director of the School of Arts at the University of South Africa and chair of the Department of Art History, Visual Arts and Musicology. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, also available on DSTV Channel 802. Today, we're talking to Professor Nombeko Mpako, who is currently the Acting Director of the School of Arts at the University of South Africa. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of our conversation, we spoke about uh, Professor Mpako's journey into the arts field. We also looked at some of the contributing factors and skills that arts bring from constructive thinking to imagination to creating good judgment, developing empathy skills, uh, tolerance and opportunities to problem solve by considering multiple perspectives and ideas. 
we spoke about art as a, a format and its, its different genres. And we also looked at arts as a compulsory subject in schools going through from preschool to grade nine with a focus on four key streams, music, visual arts, dance and drama. Prof Mbako, this program is all about gender equality and increasingly it has become a global focus and we often talk about the sustainable development goals, particularly number five for mm. equality. How do you think the arts contributes to gender equality? I think once again what I just said uh, lastly that the, the South African national competitions um, which are art competitions which are not uh, barring anyone from participating I think that to me is a platform that creates uh, an opportunity for everyone and we have quite a few of those. Right now, as I speak with you, we have the Johannesburg Art Fair. That is showcasing artworks from different artists from South Africa, overseas, and even in Africa. And is supported or hosted by uh, First National Bank. So we're mm. having a lot of sponsors yes. behind the, the arts to showcase them to get these productions together and so in effect we need a lot of support from and there's also uh, also a lot of now lately uh, invitation for artists to go and do residences to so get the exposure everywhere. so there is a lot of exposure and i i do think all those put together they are actually mm. are changing the status quo or um, yeah. And I think it's also about taking Africa into the rest of the world yes. and how that influences other artists. One that comes to mind is Henri Matisse, oh, yes. who was really influenced mm. by African art, mm. or I suppose, mm. as you've said earlier, it would probably be better to reference it as African craft mm. into his work. Mm. Can you shed some light on the applications of the arts to maintain and nurture culture in society? Mm, what comes to mind is the Estama Shangu Ndebele uh, uh, artist who is doing the Ndebele murals on, on, on the houses and which has now become actually a flagship of, uh, of, of that part of uh, South Africa. And, uh, and now what also you see, you see now people actually assimilating these Ndebele geometric shapes into a number of things just like uh, the Kente material of Ghana and then again another one that comes to mind is what is happening at, at Freedom Park for example uh, the Sivivana area where it's a, a place where the heroes and heroines that were involved in the struggle have been uh, uh, um, their ashes were fetched from wherever they died from and they were actually uh, deposited at that place and this place is it looks more like a shrine in fact it is a shrine because you are not even supposed to go there with shoes and which is a form of respect because in african culture we respect our departed and we believe that we are not really separated from our departed they're still alive and they still look after us so so that's another cultural symbol because it actually symbolizes how most African culture deal with death and ancestors. Staying on the theme of mm. African culture and mm. our differences, 
from the West. Mm. And I'm asking you to put on your educator cap. Mm-hmm. UNISA is an advocate of African mm. scholarship mm. and decolonizing the curriculum. We know that the new chancellor mm. is the former president, mm. Tabo Mbeki, who is a proponent of African Renaissance. How do you see the responsibilities of universities towards shaping the thinking of students as the country and also the continent's future socio-political economic players, and particularly women, and also embracing our Africanness? Mm. Well, UNISA, uh, currently as we speak, we are engaging or engaged already in a, a curriculum transformation. Although we are not only transforming curriculum, we are actually transforming the whole ethos of academia. And the major aspect of this curriculum transformation is to recognize the Africanity and Africanness. And we are not saying that we should disregard the Western knowledge that we have learned, but we are saying let's embrace our methodology of teaching our ways of knowing, our epistemology, so that we are able to expand our knowledge to the, uh, to the world at large. For example, I'm also thinking now of Dennis Ekpo, the Nigerian uh, theorist, that is talking about post-Africanism. And then he defined post-Africanism as the thought that embraces all and also that is not uh, keeping our thinking and ideas within us, we expose or expand to the world so that the world can also learn from us, so that the whole learning experience is not only one way, they also learn from us because Africa has a lot to offer. It's just that sometimes we always underestimate our own knowledge and our own ways of knowing because we think the West is smarter than us. So it's a high time, and this is what we're trying to do now at UNISA, to make sure that we also embrace our own ways of knowing and thinking. And are any other institutions as active in this transformation process as UNISA, whether it's in South Africa Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. elsewhere on the continent? Um, I know that when we were somebody, one of the people that was a speaker in our um, council workshop or conference for transformation at UNISA mentioned something that uh, TUT, Toronto University of Technology, will also be having their uh, a conference soon. I'm not sure whether it's in September or in October, but they are also because this is now like mandatory from the higher department of education. So also, it's also one of those things that we like now trying to, as Africans, trying to uh, take control of our own education Mm -hmm. and our own knowledge and how we we translate that knowledge into what we have learned from the West. Thank you for sharing that insight. Mm -hmm. I look forward to seeing how those developments Mm -hmm. roll out. I Mm -hmm. think it's an exciting space Mm -hmm. to be in. Whilst we're on the topic of of transformation, Mm -hmm. building female leadership, I think, is very important Mm -hmm. for the future of women in our country, Mm -hmm. in the continent, and even the world. 
Do you think that 50-50 representation across the board can be achieved? I suppose it can be achieved. Once again, we have policies. But the problem, again, is um, how we enforce those policies so that they are implemented across. But South Africa also has the EE, the equity uh, plan, national equity plan, which is enforced in all the uh, private uh, organization, uh, higher education institutions, and everywhere that equity plan must be uh, enforced. So I think if that uh, a process of enforcing the equity plan, national equity plan, is adhered to by everyone, we should be able to reach 50-50. But you know that Rome was never built in one day, and there will always be all those resistances that um, will uh, uh, retard the progress. Of course, everything mm. takes work, <laughs> yes, and it needs the mm. uh, the commitment mm. and the effort and energy yeah. behind it. Now, turning towards more of a personal mm. perspective, one of the questions that I ask my guests on this program, mm. who've made tremendous achievements in their respective disciplines, is about some of the key factors to their success. So, can you share with us some of the drivers to your success? Uh, I suppose um, my sister, uh, Dr. Temegam Paguntusi, was very instrumental because when I grew up as a child, I was a sickling that uh, my mother thought that I was going to die. I wasn't going to reach uh, the adulthood. And as a result, I pitied myself and I always lived in fear of dying. And then when my son was born and I realized that I can't die anymore now because I've got this child. So all those uh, uh, moments put together, they made me want to achieve so that I can provide a better life for my son, which would be different from the life my parents provided for me. Not because they didn't want to, but that was what was available for them too. So basically... It's also the way I grew up because because my family thought I was going to die. My mom instructed all my uh, uh, siblings to love me because I might not wake up the following day. So I grew up being loved so much by everyone at home. Even if I cough, just just a cough, everyone will jump and, 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 and start, are you okay, are you okay? And then, yeah, so, so, so that uh, uh, trust, being loved, it actually made me who I am. And it sounds like your sister was instrumental in your life. Yes. Your mother was instrumental yes, too. and my father. Any other strong women in your life who have helped form and forge? I think another are? strong woman was my uh, co-supervisor when I was studying in Australia, uh, Dr. Penny McQueen, who actually taught me that being an academic and, and, and teaching at university is not all, all about discipline. It's also about nurturing and caring about your students because they did. I remember my father died when I was in Australia. They bought me a ticket for me to come and they looked after my children, which was something over and above being my supervisors. So Penny McQueen was one of uh, 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 women that in my adult life, I felt, was such an example and very influential. And each and every time when I'm having students that have problems, 
I mother them and as a result I've got so many students that call me mom. Extra children? Yes. <laughs> I call them academic children. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure they're very honoured mm. to have that mm. and also mm. to know that mm. they can always count on you in yeah. moments of need. Now, lastly, as we close the show out today, mm. could you please share a few words of inspiration or words of encouragement that you'd like mm. to impart to young women who are listening mm. to us today? Yeah, well, what I always say to my children, including my academic children, I always say that, There is no such thing as quick fix in life. In life, you have to work hard, harder, and harder. And I always define the success, and I would say success is when you set up your goal that you are going to do this or you are going to become the best artist or you are going to become the best educator. And then after you've set up the goal, it's like when you are planning to go to Joburg, if you don't know how, you don't know how you're going to go to Jobe, but you know you want to go to Jobe. And if you don't know where you are going, any route will take you anywhere. So you've got to be specific by setting up your goals thereafter. Spend the rest of your life towards achieving those goals because it gives you a moment for improvement every day because you are still alive. You can only stop uh, uh, improving your goals when you die because you can't do anything more. So I always say you then, after setting up your goals, you spend the rest of your life towards achieving the goals until you die. It's not the sky's the limit is the grave is the limit. But also, when you are setting up your goal, you also want to know how do you want people to describe or know you as. And you keep that as your principles because that's what makes you who you are because whatever you do, you always make a reference. Even if when those constructive thinking is coming that says do this or steal or do don't uh, tell them that uh, you have overpaid me. What if this comes out? If it comes out, am I going to be proud mm-hmm. of it? So basically, that's what I always say to people. So work hard, set your goals, mm-hmm. aim to achieve them, and even more. Remember that you're going to be remembered for what you have achieved and yes. what you have done in this life. Yes. So pay attention. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Nombeko Mpako, who is currently the Acting Director of the School of Arts at the University of South Africa and Chair of its Department of Art History, Visual Arts and Musicology. (laughs) 